Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Investing from A to Z podcast. I'm your host, Steph Bodrini. We provide straightforward information by bringing excellent guests with real-world experience in all topics related to commercial real estate investing. And in today's episode, we're going to be covering what are the top five things you should keep in mind when negotiating retail leases. We're also going to cover what kinds of tenants are leasing retail space today. We're chatting with Drew Crystal from Marcus and Millie Chap. He has been a retail broker with them for over 17 years and has his own retail group. Here we go. Drew, thank you so much for joining us today. I cannot wait to hear all the things you're going to share with our audience today. But first, why don't you tell us a little bit about you? Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. It's very exciting. My first podcast. I'm originally from New York. I grew up in Westchester, just outside New York City. But I've been uh, living in South Florida, in Miami Beach, specifically for a little over 20 years. I've been in real estate my almost my entire life since I was a teenager. My my brothers and my dad started a real estate company. So I kind of always wanted to sit in the room and listen. When I got out of college, I went straight into office leasing brokerage in Manhattan when I moved back to the city after graduating from Emory University in Atlanta. So I represented tenants in negotiating office leases. It was very difficult and I was probably too young to be doing that, but it was a good opportunity for someone who was green looking to learn a little bit about the real estate world. Eventually, I decided to move to South Florida in the late 90s when I was about 25. I went to law school. I went to University of Miami and I got my law degree and spent a whole bunch of money only to decide not to become a lawyer and go back into real estate brokerage, <laughs> which is where I landed in 2005. I have been working in the same office at a company called Marcus and Millichap, which is one of the largest commercial real estate brokerage companies in the country. And I started here in 2005 and I've been working in the same office for almost 17 years doing the same thing, which is commercial real estate brokerage focusing on multi-tenant shopping centers. And we've sold about 400 properties, probably about a billion and a half dollars worth of value. Why don't you tell us what is the state of retail right now? And also, I'm very curious as to what kinds of tenants are leasing a space. Sure. We're experiencing in, and I'm going to speak to what you know I'm living, which is Florida retail, a real, what we call a post-COVID bounce. Florida came back very quickly after COVID, when things reopened up, you know, we have a government in, in our state that is very pro-business and has done as much as they can to try to at least encourage people to get outside and to shop and businesses to, to, to open. And for better or for worse, there has been a lot of business occurring in Florida, whereas maybe some other states have been a little bit locked down and maybe not encouraged the amount of outdoor experiential shopping. So my company in particular and our office had its all-time greatest year in 2021. The company itself did $90 billion worth of sales. Our previous high was $45 billion, which is unbelievable. And in fact, this year, we're actually ahead of the sales for the previous year. And that's a national, that's national. Sure. But I, I can tell you that most of my colleagues are having career years, the last year and this year. 
And I think the main reason is that there's been a real pent up of demand in the retail market, especially you're seeing returns that are a lot better than other product types. What do I say? What do I mean by product type? Multifamily, industrial, office, retail, land. Those are really the major product types. Now, multifamily has gone off the charts, especially in Florida, where a cap rate or the return has been crunched down to three, 4% return on a cash investment, which is so low that people are looking for any other type of yield. So what it's done is it's driven a lot of investors out of both multifamily and industrial, which is also incredibly hot right now, industrial across the country, to retail. So retail has been really hot. If someone can get anywhere from a five and a half to 7% return on investment before leverage, they're ecstatic and they're looking at retail as an investment that maybe they wouldn't have made. So whereas the retail market was already hot in Florida because of the density and the amount of people that are constantly moving into Florida, and we've always had a positive, what we call net positive migration. So when COVID hit, people from New York, California, Chicago, a lot of the a lot of the areas where it was just not so friendly, I guess, to live, moved to Florida. And it really increased the amount of migration to Florida. So our density numbers have gotten even more compounded. And what happens when you have way too many people and not enough retail is that there's rents escalate there's not as much vacancy. And basically, it's a very healthy retail market. It continues to be. Florida has notoriously been under-retailed. And that's why there's so much interest in Florida retail, because more and more people keep moving here. And there's more and more demand to shop and to drive around and density and they're building apartments and whatnot. The other major reason why there's been so much activity is that rates have been peaked, let's just say, eight months ago, where Mm -hmm. people were, you know, average investors, we're going to commercial banks and getting recourse or personal guaranteed loans as low as 3%. And in some cases, interest only loans. So what that did was allow people to really invest and even pay in the low to mid 5% range on a cap rate and still have what we call positive leverage, which means they could borrow at an interest rate that was still lower than the cap rate. Even down in the fives for a cap rate, they could borrow at 3%. What we've seen is that that's changed in a big way where now interest rates are back up to the low to mid fives and it has pushed values down. People cannot buy a low cap rate deal as easily, but we're still seeing tons of activity. In fact, we were just marketing a shopping center in Plantation, which is a very nice affluent location in Broward County. It's a grocery anchor deal with a grocer called Aldi. Uh, which mm-hmm. is a big national grocer, great credit. That shopping center, if it was a year ago, probably would have would have traded at around a five and a quarter to a five and a half percent return on a cash investment. And we ended up doing a call for offers last week and we generated 12 offers. And it ended up that the best buyer, which was a Latin American group, is buying the deal at a shade over a 6% return. So you can get a sense for the, the shift. The demand is there. There's a shift in value right now. Can you share what the difference is in terms of millions or hundreds of thousands uh, of dollars? I would say the difference in the 50 basis points is probably the difference between 17 million or 18 million and 20 million. Yeah. So it's it's significant. You exactly. Know? And these are the conversations we have with our clients. Do you hold out 
or if you really miss the boat and we know rates are going to continue to go up, are you prepared to hold for another, could be five to seven years? Because the truth of the matter is, aside from a few blips, including COVID, we've been on an upward trajectory in values and a compression of cap rates since 2010. So it's been a really long ride, mainly bolstered by interest rates, really, really being low. But uh, it's all going the other way, and it had to eventually. So obviously, as you mentioned, a, you know, a special market that you are in. But I'm also at the same time very curious as to who is leasing space nowadays. So some interesting new trends that we're seeing. The grocers are still doing very well. What, what happened with COVID was that it sped up the internet race to take over brick and mortar retail. In other words, people were, you know, it was about five or seven percent of retail sales were on the internet. And there were these projections that there was going to eat up the amount of people that would actually go to stores affecting brick and mortar retail sales. When COVID hit, my mom and dad, who are both about 80 and 85 years old, all of a sudden learned how to get online. And out of necessity, they learned how to use Amazon Fresh and order food. And they started buying things online they never knew before. And what it did across the country is it created a whole bunch of sectors where people, older people who maybe never would have even learned, were forced to learn. So it's really sped up that process. So there's a lot more what I'll call service-related tenants that are backfilling spaces that used to be tenants that, that are getting eaten up by the internet. Medical is a big one. We have a Humana down here and also Baptist. They're big hospital chains that are opening up local urgent care and offices in shopping centers. So medical is pretty popular. A lot of urgent care is happening right now and taking up space that used to be whatever, you know, shoe stores, shoe stores and clothing, even clothing, you know, people are ordering online and they can return it for free. And it just, that's the way it goes. Beyond that, we're seeing a lot more restaurants and a lot more types of restaurants. Restaurants are doing very well right now. I think what's happened is out of COVID, people are really dying to shop, dying to get out and eat, get away from the house after a year and a half of being stuck at home. So there's been a lot more restaurants and also what we would call experiential larger box tenants where they're trying to eat up some other big boxes that maybe are not there anymore. Trampoline parks are starting to pop up a lot of areas. There's a a national company called Goldfish. These are children's aquatic centers Hmm. where children go and learn swimming indoors. And it's a very high credit tenant. They will eat up about 15,000 square feet. And they're doing very well because the kids are swimming indoors, even in bad weather. And these type of things drive a lot of parents to the shopping center. And when they're waiting for their kid to get out, what are they doing? They're shopping at all the other tenants in in the center. So we've seen a lot of that. I would say that there are grocers that are expanding as no matter how many grocers there are, there's always more expanding. Amazon Fresh, I have multiple clients that are developers, are developing Amazon grocers. Now, I've never set foot in one because I don't think any have opened, but they are popping up all over Florida. There will be many more that are going to pop up and compete directly. They're trying to compete directly with public supermarkets, which is the big kahuna in Florida and in the Southeast, along with other middle grade shopping centers, not as much the uh, the Whole Foods fresh market market. So those are some of the tenants that have been really doing a lot of leasing lately. I just find it fascinating that, you know, a state that is so friendly to business actually has a ton of people moving into 
And that benefits everybody around just a, an observation there that it's a, it's a beautiful ecosystem. It's, it's look, it's a great place to live. It used to be that the quality of life was a lot cheaper, but I can tell you that in a lot of areas, it's become really, really expensive to live here. And unfortunately, you know, when you used to be able to rent a, a two bedroom apartment for $2,000, it's now $4,500. And yeah. that change happened very quickly post COVID when there was a rush to, for people to move down here. And the thing about Florida, I could tell you is that when you move here, usually you don't ever leave because the, the weather will suck you in and it's a, just a beautiful place to be. And it's outdoors and playing golf all day and whatever people do. It's just, it's a nice, it's a, it's a fun place to live. Yep. It definitely is. <laughs> <laughs> I always love asking this question to retail brokers, people that have been in the business for a long time, because every time we get different answers, but can you give us, you know, maybe five most important things that retail investors should keep in mind when negotiating leases? Sure. So I sell, like I said, a lot of, for a lot of sophisticated institutional clients, but I also sell the bulk of my business is working with private investors. And I see some repeating, I'm not going to say mistakes, but things that pop up that in my mind, I try to think about, well, if they're going to sell it one day, you know, what are some of the things they want to avoid because they're going to lose value if they do this or they do that. So there's a couple of things I've noticed where some people can lose some value in the property if they miss something here or there. So a couple of the things that I would note would be, and this is more important now than ever, is probably rental increases. You know, trying to get annual rental increases that at least match inflation. And I mean, inflation's off the charts, and I don't know <laughs> if it's going to continue to go this way, but I would say that if you can try to negotiate at least two and a half to 3% minimum annual in increases. Look, the more the better, because a lot of people are going to look at what is my NOI growth, my profit growth over time. And uh, the only way to match inflation is to have, 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 uh, have increases. So that's something I think is very strong. And, it, and if they don't, when you market the property, people are going to do their analysis and they're probably going to be a little concerned that the growth is flat. And they'll look at some other investments where it may grow more and they may pass over your deal or offer you a lower, a lower price to get a better return to cover for that. That's number right. one. Number two is something that some people just miss because I think that if they're not experienced, they may not understand the dynamics of the different types of leases that are out there. You know, the major leases are gross lease where basically the tenant's just paying base rent and then the landlord's essentially eating all other costs, all other expenses. And then there's a triple net lease, which is where the, the, the tenant will pay a base rent and then they will also pay their share, their pro rata share of all the expenses in the property. Expenses are going up. Insurance is actually, we're going through a mini insurance crisis right now in South Florida, where insurance used to cost for full coverage about a dollar per square foot for the building. Now we're looking at quotes in some cases between three and five dollars a foot in certain areas. Why? Because of all these name storms and, and all the hits that these insurance companies are taking. A lot of them are backing out of the state. So what happens is when the expenses increase, if you don't have clauses for your tenant to cover the increase in insurance or the increase in real estate taxes upon a reassessment, because right. when you buy it, it will eventually get reassessed. It's a dollar for dollar loss to you if it's a gross lease. If the expenses go up, 
No one's covering that. So it's better to have a net lease structure where you can at least have a shot at passing through the increased expenses to the tenant and not have to eat it because all it's going to do is take it right out of your bottom line. That's number two. Number three, I would say is having a tenant base that is, if you can get it as service oriented as possible, which is goes back to what I was talking about with respect to the internet bite that's being taken out of retail. You don't want to have too many tenants in your tenant roster that someone's going to inspect that rent roll and say, hey, you know what? GameStop is not long for this world. They're like a blockbuster. Kids are downloading video games now. What, you know, how is that business going to last as kids can continue to, to go online and download their video games? You don't want too many tenants like that that are not long for this retail world and that are going to go strictly to the internet. So you want to have a good mix of restaurants if you have the parking because you need parking to have restaurants. So you need to be aware, obviously, especially, and here's another thing, when you're buying a shopping center, if you're looking at a shopping center, you need to take a good look at what the parking ratio is in relation to the zoning in that shopping center so that you can make sure that you don't buy it and then turn around and realize, huh, there was only one restaurant in a 20,000 foot center. I thought that was an upside that I could put a bunch more restaurants. But if you don't think about it and you don't inspect it, it may be because the parking ratio is so low that the government won't allow more restaurants. And then you're stuck and you cannot put restaurants in there. So it's you always want to make a good analysis as to how much park, parking is key. Parking, accessibility, and visibility. Those are the big ones in terms of shopping centers. So service-oriented tenants, barber, medical, salon, daycare, things that people have to go to that they cannot get online are things that are really what investors are looking for when they're inspecting a rent roll so that they can be confident that those tenants aren't going to go by the wayside and either retrade the rent or, or, or blow out because they're not making their sales figures. Number four, this is, I think, important. It's a thematic tenant roster. And when I say thematic tenant roster, this is maybe obvious, but some people may not be. You don't want to stick the wrong type of tenants together. In other words, if you've got children's clothing and a daycare, a church, you know, or something like that, you probably don't want to put a marijuana dispensary in the center, even if you're allowed to. Now, they may pay good money, but they may drive off other tenants. Okay. Sure. Now, if you've got a bar and you've got a liquor store and you've got that theme going, then sticking a marijuana dispensary may not be a bad idea. It may flow. That's why I say a thematic tenant roster can really, it can help. And look, I mean, some people get it. I mean, there's a real demand for these things. You know, these marijuana dispensaries in Florida, they make a lot of money and it looks like they're here to stay. So I would just say, be aware of who you're trying to pair together. You don't want too many of the same thing also. You don't want too many yeah. of the same. And it's, it's kind of obvious, but some people get desperate and they do things that they maybe they don't want to do. So number five, this is just general. I think you should always be in constant contact with the rental market. I've dealt with a lot of owners who they kind of stay, we call it in the box, meaning they don't really like to talk to brokers. They don't really, they're not magnanimous with their information. Therefore, they don't get much information. What ends up happening is they live in this world that they're not aware of what the market is around them. And most brokers, if they're good, are very, very much giving in information. I mean, that's how we're a value sure. resource. 
If I call you and you own a 30,000 foot center and I'm trying to build a relationship with you, the first thing I'm going to do is say, listen, I want you to understand that I want to be a resource to you. You may transact now or you may transact in 20 years. I'm not going anywhere. You're in my market. How can I be a resource? There's no way that any owner shouldn't want to know what all their neighbors are paying in rent, You know what developments are happening locally, Okay, what new laws could affect their property, what new zoning codes are coming in that maybe could add density or maybe be a detriment. I just think that it's very important for investors to have open ears. It may be annoying to get cold calls from people, but at the end of the day, some of these brokers, and I, not just me, but all brokers, a lot of them can have a lot of value to add. So I always tell my clients when they're like, I got a call from this guy and this guy, I said, you should talk to everybody because I don't know everything and I don't know everything that's going on. And it's good to get as much information as possible. So I would say that making a mistake would be not opening yourself up to keeping and understanding what the market is. If it spikes and you've got a couple of leases coming up, you really should know that you're going to leave money on the table or you could be leaving money on the table if you're not aware of where the market just went. Wow. So awesome. And I would love to work with you if I ever buy retail. (laughs) (laughs) Is there anything else that we haven't touched on that you think should be important for our audience to know? I just think that, and we were talking about this a little earlier, the market right now is getting very interesting. Like I said, there's a lot of demand because there's still a lot of capital out there. As the, the stock market continues to fall and fall, it's going to affect some of the tenants because you have to understand if it's not a corporate tenant, you're talking about a family. You're talking about a family, probably this is their business, this is their livelihood. But what I've found is that when times get rough, keep, some people keep their money in the stock market. And then when they lose two thirds or a third, you know, a half of the value, and that's, that's liquid to them that they could have sold for whatever reason. Let's say their daughter gets sick or they get in a bad car accident or mm. something happens. And this is when tenants start to come back and ask for money. And they ask for rent reductions because they're having a problem. And as the stock market gets, gets more volatile, and that's when people and buyers sense that they're going to need a bigger return because that seven and a half sure. cap may turn into a six and a half cap very quickly if they lose a tenant or two, depending on the size of the shopping center. I think you're going to see uh, uh, an incremental drop in value as, as, as interest rates go up, as the stock market becomes a lot more um, volatile. But at the same time, I also think that people may take their money out of the stock market, which they have been, and maybe out of crypto at this point, and move it into brick and mortar. Because we all know the best parts of owning real estate are, it's not just that you can get cash flow, but it's a real thing <laughs> that it, you're owning land. You have this asset and you will continue to own it. And it, it appreciates the tax benefits of being able to depreciate the property are very big that you don't get with stocks. And so a lot of people will move their continue to move their money into real estate. And that's one last thing I think I forgot to mention. Why did the market get so heated? I think in a big way, a lot of people have learned and become from partly from shows like yours that commercial real estate investments are very much more commonplace than they ever were before. You have many more people investing in single tenant properties and in smaller multi-tenant shopping centers than ever considered that as an investment option. And because of that, you just have more competition and more demand. And so we live in an area here in South Florida where there's constant demand and it's coming from not just America, not just Florida, but South America, Europe, everywhere. 
and New York and all the people that are moving down here are moving their money down here. So we see it all the time. You go to a market in Northern Florida, it, you get a better return because there's less demand. You go to Ocala or Deland right. or Jacksonville, we're selling deals at seven and a quarter, seven and a half caps. The same property, you plop it down in Miami-Dade County, is probably a five and three quarter cap and the rents are twice as high. That's, that's about everything I could. If you have any questions, more questions for me, I'm happy to go. I have plenty, but we don't have a ton of time. <laughs> How can our listeners get in touch with you? Well, if anybody wants to call me, my number is uh, 786-522-7065. That's my, my direct office line. I work in the Miami office of Marcus and Millichap. And again, my name is uh, Drew Crystal, and I'm a Senior Vice President of Investments with, with Marcus and Millichap and a director of the Institutional Property Group for the same company. And we'll also put your email and whatever else you may want to share under show notes. Drew, thank you so much for making the time and enlightening us with so many wonderful nuggets today. Well, thank you very much and have a wonderful day. Make sure to subscribe to our newsletter at monicarlorei.com on top of the page. And I will see you next time.